two weeks away from the Night to Shine event that you've heard about. We had two training sessions, uh, one on Thursday, one on Saturday. It's been on the radio. It'll be on the radio again tomorrow. Uh, tune in to Life 98.7 around 8.20, and you'll hear Jordan and, 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 and me, and we'll be talking to them. And There's a lot of enthusiasm in this, but why? Why are we doing this? Um, the foundation sent out a, a video, and it's Tim Tebow, and you've got the celebrity factor there. But I want you to listen to the next thing he says after he gives his welcome, and I think you'll understand why this is being done and why it comes very close to what the kingdom's about. What's up, church? I'm Tim Tebow, and I want to say thank you so much for being a part of the third annual Night to Shine. Night to Shine for us was something that we started three years ago because we wanted to celebrate people with special needs. But in the course of the last three years, it has turned into so much more than that. Now it's a movement to celebrate life, to celebrate love, to celebrate God's love for every single one of us. This year, we're going to have over 375 churches partnering with us, over 150,000 volunteers. But most importantly, we get to celebrate over 75,000 kings and queens. That many people are going to hear about the love of God for their life. They're going to feel special. But also what's really cool is we have over 27 denominations that are partnering with us. Because it's not just about the banner that we fly in front of the church. It's about the people in the church. It's about celebrating people. It's about loving people. It's about caring about people. I want to share with you a letter that one of the moms from last year's Night to Shine wrote to me. There have been many times I've wanted to shout to everyone and no one in particular. Don't forget my girl. It's not easy, I know. But she's here, sitting in the dark, waiting for you to sit with her, see her, know her. Don't forget my girl. At night to shine, God whispered to me, I will never, ever forget her. She is famous to me like an A-lister walking the red carpet. I throw a party, serve the best food, and clothe her in love. I pamper her with my goodness and put a crown on her head. She is precious and she is mine. How extravagant is the love of God for us. That's how we want to make every single kid feel. How extravagant is the love of God for us. That's why we throw a night to shine. It's more than just a prom. It's a night where we can change people's life because we get to share the love of God with them. That's pretty cool. So from the bottom of my heart, thank you for being a part of a night to shine. Um, you, you, know that, you know that when Tim Tebow says, uh, how's it going, church? He was thinking just of us when he said that. <laughs> but uh, I think the power of the note that he read from the mother with a special needs child who saw a different perspective that her child was not in some way deficient or forgotten, but was actually honored and loved and special to God. We saw that actually happen Thursday night. Right over here in my church neighborhood, there were two women who I'd met for the first time. And they are bringing their children to this event. Actually, their children heard about it and said, we want to go to that. And they just kept thanking us over and over again for offering 
all, all that we have and our time and our attention for their children who are often overlooked or separated or even looked down upon in this world. And that's why we do this. Folks, we, we've, we've got, we know that in this day and age, there's got to be a reversal of the perspective on life that life is viewed as cheap or throwaway, we know that there's got to be a reversal on what is considered powerful, important, whole. And that is not going to come from government. It's not going to come from the media. It's not going to come from the popular culture. It will only come from the Spirit of God working among His people. And that's what we need to be doing. Would you pray with me? Father, we ask that in everything that we do, every step we make, every word we speak, we ask that you would encourage us to speak a word of good news about your love and what that love means and how that love calls us to live a radically different life than what we see in the culture around us. Father, I pray that we would live that out in such a way that um, people will be amazed, not at us, but they will be amazed to know that you are a God who seeks a loving relationship with the creation and with people. Father, bless us in this. Encourage us today in the name of Jesus. Amen. I've enjoyed preaching these sermons, and I hope they've been, import, they, they've, been, they've been helpful to you about the truth that we can actually fear less as Christians. Um, scripture, so often, and this is one of the things that I've learned in this, so often addresses the problem of God's people. God's own children, the people who walk closest to him, it addresses their fear. Abraham, who is unique in his time because God has entered into a close relationship with him that he has with with hardly anyone else. One of the words that God speaks to him is, do not fear, I am your shield. And so we've looked at the 12 spies. Ten of them were fearful of the mission that God had been promising them for over a year. And they suffer the consequences for their fear and their lack of courage. Jesus sends out His twelve apostles and He tells them not to fear those who can only destroy the body. He says, if you're going to place your fear anywhere, fear the one who can destroy body and soul. And by implication, he's also saying the one who can preserve body and soul. I appreciate Larry preaching last week that faith triumphs over fear. And as Larry and I were talking about this, he was telling me, he said, you know, I feel like you got to it first and you picked all the meat off that bone. And I was starting to feel that too, I'll be honest. Now, he did, he did a great job with that. And... Uh, I think he found something in there. But now, if I had picked it and Larry felt that way, then I felt this week, oh my goodness, we're really pushing this. Maybe we just ought to shift to the next, uh, you know, the next series. 
But I had that experience this week, and I want to share that with you. I'm kind of excited. Um, have you ever been to a, uh, you know, if you like steak, have you ever been to a restaurant? I especially appreciate this if I go to Doe's Eat Place, and, and, and you're sitting there, and you're cutting on that meat and everything, and you're thinking, whew, I'm about done here, you know, tackling this thing. And all of a sudden, you find this chunk of steak that's in there next to the bone that, you know, you're going to get a couple of more ounces Man, when that happens to me, I stop and give thanks to God all over again. You know, just start the whole prayer of blessing one more time. That happened with this. There's more meat on the bone, Larry. It's there. And I want to give you the background of this. We're going to go to 1 Chronicles chapter 28. David has assembled the leaders of Israel, King David. He's in his last days. And David has a dream. He has a dream that he's going to build a temple, a sanctuary for the Lord, a place for the Ark of the Covenant to rest, to symbolize that great relationship that they have with God. And he's excited about the possibility of building this. He's been carrying this dream around for years. But now he knows he won't get to do it. He must take his plan and his dream and pass it forward. What a profound moment. God has said, you're not the one to do this. You're the warrior. You've fought too many battles. Another one will do this. So he gets the comfort of knowing that the dream will be accomplished. But he also has to manage the disappointment that he won't be the one who does it. But he gathers all the leaders of Israel around. His son Solomon is there who's going to to, uh, take over the throne. And he gives the plans. David has all of the plans for this sanctuary. He hands all of that off. And then he shares words with them that that are words of encouragement. I'm going to be reading from uh, 1 Chronicles 28. And we'll look at... Verse 9 to begin with. After he's addressed all the leaders of Israel, he says, And you, Solomon, my son, know the God, learn to know the God of your ancestors intimately. Worship and serve him with your whole heart and a willing mind. For the Lord sees every heart and knows every plan and thought. If you seek him, you will find him. But if you forsake him, he will reject you forever. So take this seriously. The Lord has chosen you to build a temple as his sanctuary. Be strong and do the work. And then David continued. I'm skipping to verse 20. And then David continued. Be strong and courageous and do the work. Don't be afraid or discouraged. For the Lord God, my God, is with you. He will not fail you or forsake you. He will see to it that all the work related to the temple of the Lord is finished correctly. This is the charge that David gives Solomon to do the work. And he says, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be dismayed or panicked. And we'll come to what that word means in just a moment. I was talking to Brent before worship today. There's a song that has these words. And they say, if I get the lyrics right, it's be strong and courageous and do not be afraid. And then the, last, the next line is, 
The Lord goes before you each and every day. Okay, please, why don't we, we're going to learn that song in the future. Because here's the thing, that when, when, a, when a word like that is set to music, you remember it. And we need to remember this. Here's the extra meat on the bone. This phrase about being strong, courageous, do not be afraid. The Lord goes before you each and every day. It shows up again and again and again in Scripture. When you start looking for those words, they're there over and over again. In Deuteronomy 31, Moses. Moses is passing the baton to Joshua. He says, you're going to be the one that leads them into the land. And you know what he says? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid and do not be worried. The Lord goes before you. The Lord speaks to Joshua in Joshua chapter 1 and he says, Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be panicked. Because I'm going before you. In 2 Chronicles 32, Hezekiah, the king, is speaking to all of Jerusalem. They're under assault. They're being sieged. And he says... You know what he says? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be panicked. The Lord fights for us. Isaiah speaks this word to the exiles. Isaiah 35, verse 4. Again, there's some variation of those words. Be strong and courageous. Don't be afraid. Don't be panicked. In Haggai chapter 2, anybody read Haggai in the last year? Okay, you know, a few. Okay, Uh, Read it. Read it, two chapters, okay? You can get quick credit for reading a whole book of the Bible that way. Haggai chapter 2, Zechariah chapter 8. They're coming, the exiles are coming back. They're excited about rebuilding this temple, but there's a lot of risk. There's a lot of anxiety about that. What if they fail? What if it doesn't work? What if they can't accomplish it? What if somebody attacks them in the midst of rebuilding this? And you know what the word of encouragement is? Be strong. Be courageous. Don't be afraid. Don't be panicked. And in 1 Corinthians 16, you see a variation of this. Paul tells the Corinthians, his parting word is, be strong, be courageous. Now, you may wonder why I've got Hebrews 12, 12 out there. Wait, that's the verse about um, strengthening, you know, strengthen your tired hands, you know, get a grip, strengthen those weakened knees. That's because the words that are spoken in this word of encouragement throughout the Bible have to do, being strong has to do with putting some strength into that which has become weak. Or that, I mean, what, what do we say when someone is terrified? We say they go weak in the knees. Okay? Hebrews 12, 12 is not about orthopedic surgery. You know? It's not, the, it's not the, the text proof for getting metal knees. Okay? It's about courage. It's about being strong and devoted. It's fascinating how often these words appear. And this phrase has five parts to it. First, there's the be part. Be strong. I'm so tempted to read the Hebrew on this, but it'll just, it'll just sound like my allergies have, have gone crazy. Chazak, that's the strong. See, I did it, see? You should say, bless you. That's the word for be strong. And it means being devoted. Being set. Holding your ground. I hear this word and I think of the movie Braveheart. 
William Wallace is telling the troops, they've got their little sticks. Here comes the mighty English army. Those little Scots tribes with their faces painted blue are standing out there with these sticks. And William Wallace is saying, hold, hold. He doesn't want anybody to move because only by holding firm will they win the battle. Be strong and be courageous. To be courageous means to be confident. It means bold. That's another fair translation of the word courageous. I prefer courageous because of what it means for encouragement. But it has to do with being confident. So the first line is the be part of this. Be this. And if you're going to be this, then you are not going to be fearful or discouraged. If we are this, we cannot also be this. How can you be strong and devoted and confident and at the same time be fearful, afraid? And that word for discouraged, sometimes it'll translate it in English as dismayed. And some of you know this week I've asked you, what do you think of when you hear the word dismayed? Dismayed is, I don't know what the word means in English uh, then or historically. The word doesn't come off as very strong to me. To me, dismayed is the feeling that you get when when someone invites you to a party you don't really want to go to anyway, and then they cancel it, and you're like, that's tough, I'm dismayed, you know. Oh, well, I don't know. That's the way I hear the word. But when you look up the word in the original language, it means shattered. Now, that's much more than dismayed as far as I'm concerned. It means broken. This means panicked. This is terror. This isn't just garden variety worries that it's natural for us to be a little anxious or you know, a little nervous. No, this is shattered shaken, brought down. This is why we say, well, you know, wait, we can be courageous and bold and still be a little nervous. Yes, that's normal. But to be shattered and fearful means that we have given up. It means that we would rather sit back and do nothing. It means we're not even going to get in the game. That's why you can't be strong, devoted, confident, courageous, and backing out because we're shattered and anxious. But the fifth part, the all-important fifth part, is that phrase down below there. There's a reason. All of this is great if this is just pep talk. That's wonderful. They go, hey, let's be encouraged. All right. You know, and everybody has a rah-rah. And a, let's hear it. You know, okay. Yeah. That doesn't change reality. I need something that changes reality. I need something to stand on if I'm going to be devoted. I need something to be confident in. If I'm not going to be shattered, then what's going to hold me together? If we're not going to be fearful and anxious, how can we actually say that? Because maybe, maybe that fear is telling us something. Here's the, the basis, the foundation, the reason why. Because God is with you. He fights for us. He goes before us. He sustains us. He is on our side if we will be on His side. This is the answer to the question when we get asked, hey, listen, I understand y'all are all going to do something, and that's great, but who's going to do this? You and what army? The answer is God. 
We are, and by the way, notice that God doesn't just back us up. God goes before us. And if God goes before us, he's clearing the way. How can we do anything else but follow him? What shelter are we going to find? What protection are we going to find that is greater than the Lord going before us? So if we accept this, that God goes before us, that God leads us, that God is our king, I mean, you do accept that, don't you, right? You you do feel that. I hope you do. We affirmed that. Robert brought that to us in the Lord's Supper. We have a living king, an active king. He has overcome death. When, when, When you were baptized, you were baptized in the reality that death no longer has a hold on you, that your life is eternal, and you're trusting it to God who, who, who rose Jesus from the dead. And you're trusting your life to Him in the same way. So if that's the case, then why are we afraid to risk? Why are we worried about so many things? Christians should be the least worried people in the world. And yet sometimes... We feel like it's our mission to tell everybody what they're supposed to worry about. Sometimes I think that we think our mission is to find the brake handle and pull it with all of our might. Why do we let worries and fears make us give up before we ever begin? Why do we allow worries, why do we allow caution to make us hold back When God is running before us, bulldozing the terrain ahead of us. When God's gone before you, you don't have to worry that there's some sort of hidden landmine out there. He's got this. So this is where the question comes in to be. And there's there's a problem there with the conjunction, but maybe this will bring it forward. It's Hamlet who asked the question to be or not to be. He has a choice. He's contemplating suicide. You know, does he exist or does he not exist? He... But what if you change that phrase, to be and not to be? Or to be but not to be? Because this message, be strong and courageous and do not be afraid, and do not be shattered, is saying this is what you are to be, and this is what you are not to be. Because the Lord goes before you. He has this. Now, if that's the case, then why is there still worry? Hmm. Sometimes I think there's well-intentioned worry. Well-intentioned worry is the worst kind of worry. Because well-intentioned worry has a way of seeming legitimate. And you and I need to ask ourselves, and we need to ask one another, that when we're sharing our worries, are we sharing our worries so that we can be encouraged, so that we can overcome fear? Or are we sharing our worries because we want other people to validate our worries well-intentioned worry is like a virus. 
Some of you have been dealing with some viruses, right? Viruses are just rotten little things. I don't know how they fit into the creation yet. God's going to explain that to us one day. Maybe he did it just so that we could get sermon illustrations. I don't know. But viruses are these weird little somethings. I don't know. We don't even know if they're life or not, do we? We don't even What are they? What they do is, all they want to do is replicate, 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 replicate. And they don't care what they got to do to replicate. Well-intentioned worry is like that. It's like a way of sounding the alarm. I want everybody to validate this. Years ago, I, I, I had my first you know, moment of recognizing well-intentioned worry. Uh, fake news, by the way, is nothing new. Okay? Fake news has been around for a long time. And when the, when the internet was just becoming popular, the, the, you know, now all you can do is you can transmit the, tran- transmit the virus of well-intentioned worry just much quicker, okay? You know, viruses transmit normally, so this is like being on an uh, uh, airliner and you've got a guy in the back just coughing all over the place. All right, that's the internet. And, and, and all of this is being transmitted, and that, that email that comes up that says, watch out. The FCC is going to get rid of our religious-based shows. It's going to get rid of Touched by an Angel because there's a movement by Madeline Murray O'Hare and her atheist group, and they want to make it illegal to say anything about God on TV. Well, everybody runs to this. I, I checked it out. I thought, oh, good news. It's all fake news. It's all fake. It's all fake. So I send out a word of encouragement. Don't worry, folks. Don't worry. This, is, this has been around. This has been, a, this has been bad news. This is all made up. It's just a rumor. It's an urban legend. It's not going to happen. Can't happen. Don't worry. I get responses back that say, how dare you tell us not to worry? This is a problem we need to address. And I'm saying, no, it's not. This is serious business. We've got to fight. We've got to get going. Yes. But this isn't real. It doesn't matter. That sort of worry is well-intentioned. And the goal is not to get encouragement, but to have that worry validated. When you and I are so in love with our worries and fears that we don't want to overcome them, we just want them validated, we need to go to this Word of God. Be strong. Be courageous. Don't be afraid. Don't be shattered. Why? Because God goes before you. The flip side of this is well-intentioned criticism. That well-intentioned criticism that says, I don't think so, never happened. Oh, I've recognized this in my life. I've done it. I listened, uh, years ago, I listened to a friend of mine, and he said, you know, we did this thing to start reaching out to people, and we started, we started sharing with them the gospel, and here's how we started doing it, and here, here's, here's the kind of things that we did in our church. And I said, it'll never work. How did I know that? Did I get a newspaper from the future that said this plan doesn't work? Nah, it just can't happen. People just don't want to do that. I don't know. Folks just aren't dedicated enough. You know what I was doing? I was criticizing that so that I had an excuse to do nothing. 
I was criticizing that so that I could have some control over the situation. And if I can knock his idea down, then I can control it. I can tell myself that, you know what? Better not to risk. Better not to take a risk. Better not to take action. I can just keep doing what I'm doing because I don't want to do that. Be strong. Be bold. You know, folks, we're we're not going to fail if we risk for God. If we risk for God, we have not failed. By the world's definitions of success, Jesus Christ is a failure. Because He obeys His Father even though it takes Him to death on a cross. And you and I need to embrace the scandal of that. That, through the lens of the world, is a huge failure. No one sees Jesus on the cross, even the apostles, and says, Well done. Good job today. They are all shattered Because they do not see it the way God sees it. And they don't have the obedience that Christ has. Christ is willing to risk His future, His life, His existence, His eternity. Because He trusts in God. The definition of failure is to not risk for God. If we say it's easier to do nothing, it's easier to just play it safe and do nothing, then we have already failed for God. There's a time to act. There's a time to be still. But as long as we are acting or we are being still for God, then we're still taking a risk. In fact, by doing nothing, we can take a risk for God. Look, let me put it like this. There's a lot of variations for this and a lot of situational things that we can come up with. And we could sit here all day and we could come up with all the exceptions and all of the situations and wonder what the right thing to do is. And God has made the truth and the gospel so so basic and so direct That if we sit around spending all of our time finding out, well, yes, but in this case, that doesn't apply. But yeah, in this case, we will well-intentionally criticize ourselves and well-intentionally worry ourselves into an inaction and a lack of faith when God is saying, in whatever situation you find yourself, just know this. Be strong. Be courageous. Don't be afraid. Don't be shattered because I'm going to be right out in front of you. And instead of us being Pharisees and wondering about all of these little different permutations of every situation and what the proper thing to do is, as if we have to unlock God's secret code, why don't we instead find the opportunity to use words to encourage one another? Notice that that word encourage encourage isn't just pat on the back. Hey, good boy, you did great. You know, we're going to have a party, confetti. No, encourage is the instilling of boldness, the instilling of courage to do something for God, behind God, with God. Moses encouraged Joshua. David encouraged Solomon. Hezekiah encouraged Jerusalem. 
this is a word that we have the privilege to share with one another. So let's do. As I said before, those of you who have been baptized into Jesus Christ, you have stepped into the reality that nothing in all of creation can end your eternal life. So what do we have to fear? You have stepped into the reality that God is active. He's calling each of us to glorify Him and to act in His name. He's calling this church to glorify Him. So why do we worry as if His church, which is us, the baptized, the ones who are in Christ, why do we worry as if somehow we're going to wreck the car? There's so much well-intentioned but unnecessary worry that somehow we're going to mess up God's work, folks. God has been overcoming the threats to His promise for millennium. So I think that He will lead us. What we need to do is be devoted, strong, courageous, bold, dedicated, fearless, and not panicked. That's true for those of us who've been baptized. That can be true for those of you who choose to be baptized in Jesus Christ. You're stepping into that gospel message that if we've been united with Him in His death, we'll be united with Him in the resurrection. May God help us to dare great things in His name as He leads us and goes before us each and every day. Let's stand, let's sing this song, and let's encourage one another.